Well, good morning. Hopefully you guys have all recovered from last night. And if you weren't here for, for last night, uh, you missed an amazing time. We had well over 200 people, about 225 people here busting a gut. We were laughing so hard and having a great time. It was marriage date night, and we had some uh, comedians, music, and, and opportunity to be able to just, just have fun and have a good time. So, so definitely we, uh, we enjoyed it. I'm sure there's a, a bunch of people that were here last night that are waking up this morning going, I think second service is probably going to be a good option. <laughs> we had a great time. So we want to encourage you guys to, uh, as, as we move through to the different things we got going on, get plugged in. It, the, the way to be able to connect with people is uh, by attending the events. Sunday mornings and Wednesdays are good for Bible study, but if you really want to get into fellowship, small groups and, and these events are really the thing to, to happen. Today, we're going to have a great time of worshiping, studying God's Word, communion, and celebration. Um, there's a couple of things that I do want to bring to your attention, and as, in fact, a bunch of different things. One of the things that we've got going on um, that we want to invite you all to get plugged into is our trip to Israel. We're going to Israel and Jordan uh, March, uh, March 4th of 2024. If you've never been to Israel, you should go. It's like a year of Bible school. You're going to go and you're going you're gonna to see things and experience things firsthand that is just off the chart. There's a number of people that have been here. I know that uh, looking out in the audience, they've been here and, and they're going back. And we've, we've cherry-picked the best sites for this trip. In fact, we've got a little video we want to share with you about this. If you're watching this and you've been to Israel, does it bring back memories? Yeah, for sure. We want to encourage you to get plugged in. Um, we've got about 40 people that are interested in going, and we've expanded our hotels and those kinds of things. Uh, deposits are like $300, and the last payment is due at the end of the year. Um, but it would be really, really good to get in and get signed up, get your deposits in, because they're going to book the airfares starting in April. And, and they booked the block of the airlines with that. So we definitely want to make sure that we lock all of that happening. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this morning. God, we thank you for this morning and the chance to get together in fellowship and, and to enjoy one another and, and to really reflect on what you've done for us, Lord Jesus, through communion, through the study of your word as we take a look at, at Paul's 
message to the Jews today in the temple. Lord, there's a lot here for us. And unless we pause and, and settle our minds, we're, we're possibly going to miss what you have for us. So, Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, move amongst us. And may you be honored by everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. I we'll invite you to stand and let's worship our God and sing Hosanna, the one who saves us. Praise is rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. All our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Oh, Zach. 
by giving our tithes and our offerings this morning. Ushers, would you come forward and receive? God, we ask that you would take these monies and that you would use them for your honor and your glory and that uh, your kingdom would move forward because of these resources we give to you in worship and as an act of obedience this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
and that we will be able to worship you all our lives. We thank you for allowing us to be in your presence this morning. Now teach us as we uh, dig into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 21 as we continue this study in Acts. Have you ever felt beat up in your life or by the world? Maybe a little? Ronald Reagan once said this, We're never defeated unless we give up on God. Think about that. We're never defeated unless we give up on God. If you give up on God, you've lost. There's a lot of people that don't know God and have given up on God in many different ways. A lot of people that that have been beat up by the world, circumstances and things that are going on, they give up on God. And as a result of that, uh, that giving up, they walk away from the church and fellowship and those times within that, and they struggle. And so within this, one of the things that we are going to come to an understanding is that when you stand on the truth, you can't be defeated. You, you can't lose. And understanding that the, the truth is the foundation and the gospel that is given to us gives us that opportunity for winning. Sin, sorrow, suffering, and despair will beat you down. It will get you to the place where you want to quit, where you want to give up. And there are going to be times in your life when you're going to get discouraged, you're going to feel beaten down, when you're going to feel like, what's the point? What's the point? I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm really, I'm really trying, I'm praying, I'm doing all this, and, 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 and I just get kicked in the teeth again. What's the point? Then we come to the words that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power, will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in this body. We live in this tension, and it's a tension of suffering and victory. We live in this tension of of working things through, and the life and the witness of the Christ follower is going to be hard in this world. It's going to be difficult within this world. And if you're going to follow after Christ, just understand, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be dismissed and persecuted. Paul, by the time that he comes into this place that we're going to be today has been doing a great job of ministry. He's gone on three significant mission trips, establishing churches. The gospel has gone out to Asia, Macedonia. Many people are coming to faith. He's back in the temple and he is following suit in his Jewish faith and tradition in this purification process in the temple, the place that he worships and his own people attack him. And he's been beaten by those very same people. And accused of things that, that he had never done. He was accused that he was speaking against the Torah. 
He was accused that he was speaking against the temple. He was accused that he was speaking against the Jews. And he was accused of defiling the temple. All these false accusations. Have you ever had people say things about you that are not true? And, and create a synergy against you? And in the process of that public persecution, you feel beat up. How do you respond? Do you crawl in a hole and go hide? Or do you look for the opportunity to be a witness? To be able to speak the truth? Paul is taken into custody by the Romans. Rejected by his own people and they want him dead. He very easily could have said, Okay, Romans, take me away. I'm done with these people. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because he sees the persecution as an opportunity to testify about Jesus. So as we read through these passages, I want to encourage you to think about yourself in light of this. Maybe a circumstance that you've been through. And we're going to look to see how Paul responded and how we should reflect that response in our own lives. So let's stand as we read through Acts 21. As, as we begin in verse 37... And then we're going to pick up all the way through to the verse 29 of 22. It says, And Paul was about to be brought into the barracks. And he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? And then you're not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia a citizen of no insignificant city, I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet, and he said, I am a Jew born, of Tarsus, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up, or brought up in the city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, and also high priests and all the council and the elders can testify. And from them I also received letters to the brethren, and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that I was on my way approaching to Damascus about noontime. A very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, well, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go on into Damascus, and there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I couldn't see because of the brightness that had light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, came into Damascus. Now, a certain Ananias, a man who was a devout by the standard of the law, and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. 
And at that very time, I looked up and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all the men that you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. <clears throat> and it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understood that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, they, being the crowd, listened to him up to this statement. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks, tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reason that they were shouting against the way. And when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And the centurion heard this. He went to the commander and he told him, he said, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. And the commander answered, he said, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, but I was actually born a citizen. And therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him. And the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman and because he had put him into chains. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So as we take a look at this narrative that Luke gives us about Paul's experience, one of the things that we can see firsthand is misunderstandings. Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever been judged by others without them really getting to know you? They've looked at you, they've kind of been around, or by hearsay. What other people have said. Now, how did that make you feel? How did it make you feel to have other people make judgments about you that weren't true? And because they didn't take the time to really get to know you. In fact, they would condemn you without getting to know you. And that would make you upset for sure. Well, people are going to make negative assumptions about you and the world and others are going to make negative assumptions about your faith. They're going to make negative assumptions about your faith because they don't really know what Christianity is. They don't know what it's like to have a faith in a living God. They know religion and they'll make a lot of assumptions about what they hear about religion. But it's not necessarily true. Paul was beaten and battered. He's in chains being carried up the stairs to the Antonio Fortress to be interrogated. Why? 
because the riot had ensued and the commander over a thousand had said, there's no riot that needs to take place right now. We're going to grab them. We're going to get them out of here. We're going to stop this riot. We're going to find out who this is. But there was an assumption that the commander had made that Luke gives us because as Paul comes up to the commander, he says, can I speak to you? And he speaks in Greek. Well, this threw the commander off. He's like, I thought you were the Egyptian terrorist. Now, we would have to know historically what had happened. About three years earlier, there was an, a movement led by an Egyptian terrorist that had rallied, according to Josephus, some 30,000 people that were living in the wilderness. And this group of 30,000 people that were rallied with this Egyptian terrorist and 4,000 assassins. Have you ever heard of the name Sakari? Sakari is the Sakari sword. And Sakari was an Egyptian assassin. And what they did is they had this little dagger and they would move around the crowd. And they would find their unsuspecting person with their Sakari. And then they'd stab him and walk away and meld into the, into the crowd. That's where we get the Sakari from. So these Egyptian assassins, 4,000 of them mixed amongst the 30,000, were in the wilderness, the desert area that would have been north of Jerusalem. And this terrorist had gone in and he had decided that he was going to get this movement. Let's stay out in this wilderness area and we're going to wait for magically the walls of Jerusalem to fall down and then we will rush in and we will take out the Romans. Well, did he adopt a story, an account out of the Bible? For sure. Was he a deceiver? Absolutely. But Felix, who was the governor at that time, said, look it, I'm not going to adhere to this. So he took the Roman soldiers out and they attacked him in the wilderness. 400 of them died. 200 of them were taken captivity and they all scattered around. But the leader of the movement had disappeared. And so this commander thought, this guy's back. He made an assumption about Paul because of the way that the crowd responded to Paul. He really didn't know anything about Paul. And so when Paul spoke to him in Greek instead of Egyptian dialect, he went, Oh, you're not who I thought you were. Paul says, No, I'm not. In fact, I'm, I'm a Jew of Tarsus, of Cilicia. Now, that would have been in north. It's a Hellenistic town. And, and, and Paul is saying, I'm, it, it's not even a small town. It's a big town. And that's where I'm from. I'm not who you think I am. And so within this, we see the Roman commander understanding that, that he had misunderstood Paul. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting is this. Why didn't Paul, to the Roman commander who now has him in chains, and now is in charge of him. Why didn't Paul say, I am Paul a Roman? Why didn't he say that? Because at that point in time, he could have been free. Paul's mission and ministry was always to take the gospel to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. Paul was in the temple fulfilling a Jewish ritual of the Nazarite vow of purification and he was testifying Paul saw the persecution as an opportunity to witness not first to this Roman soldier but to the people because in Paul's mind even though the very people that beat him up still needed to hear the truth 
And so in Paul's mind, he says, do you mind if I address the crowd? Now, that's pretty gutsy to think about what he was doing. But he looked at this, uh, this persecution as an opportunity to be able to preach. And so he asked for permission to preach. The guy says, yeah, I think that's okay, because you're not who I thought you were. Maybe this will give me some insight about what's really going on. And what's amazing is you've got this Jewish revolt that's going on in the temple that came out to the Antonio Fortress on the steps. And Paul, who is in chains, begins to speak and everybody all of a sudden is quiet. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, that's a work of the Holy Spirit to give that opportunity, that divine appointment for him to speak. And what does Paul speak in? Well, our text says... Hebrew, but it can also be seen as Aramaic or the common language within this. So Paul in chains to the very people that just beat him up turns around and says, can I witness to you? Can I share with you the truth within this? Paul models what Peter would later write in 1 Peter 3, 13-16. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify, which literally means to set apart, Christ as Lord in your heart. Always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account note for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Paul is going to model this. How do you answer somebody that is persecuting you? How do you give an answer or a defense, as we're going to see in a moment, to somebody that is treating you poorly, slandered you, has a misconception? How do you address that? With an attitude of humility. And you give to them the truth with grace. You don't yell and you don't scream and you don't call them names and you don't say, look at you're an ignorant idiot or any of these other things. But you figure out how to be able to speak the truth in love. To be able to share this and, and understand that God has given you this opportunity and persecution to be a witness. To share, don't get discouraged when, when your witness for Christ is rejected or you're persecuted. They persecuted Paul, they persecuted Jesus. But look for the opportunity that God will give you in the persecution to be a good witness and to preach Jesus. Well, we come to Paul's testimony in verses 20, uh, in chapter 22, 1 all the way through 29. And, and so within this, 1 to 22, we get a model of how to give a testimony. Have you ever given your testimony to somebody? Some people would say yes. Nod your head yes. Some people, no. Some people go, I don't know what a testimony is. In discipling youth, one of the things that I would teach them is how to give your testimony. You should be able to give your testimony about how you were saved. And when we're going to break it down. Testimonies have three parts. You should be able to give your testimony in 30 seconds, one minute, and two minutes. Can you do it? Well, if you start in the two-minute side and work your way backwards, you, you, you can. Because if you're in an elevator with somebody, 
you got about 30 seconds in between floors. But God will give you the opportunity to be able to do that. Now, some people go, well, I want to give my testimony. And I've heard a lot of testimonies in my day, and, and some of them have been very good, and some have been very poorly done. One of the key elements in giving your testimony is don't highlight who you were. Highlight who Christ has made you to be. A lot of people will glory in their sinful time and their sinful days and say, oh, what a wretched person I was, and spend all their time, and then they'll say, then I met Jesus and now I'm saved. That is not the testimony that we want to give. But we do want people to understand who we were, how did we come to faith in Jesus, and what is Jesus doing in my life today? Because what Jesus is doing in your life today really is the hope of salvation. People are not wanting to become like who you were. People need to know who you are now in Christ. And so Paul breaks his testimony down in these three elements within this. Because keep in mind, in sharing the gospel, it is good news unto salvation. So Paul starts, and he notice he's addressing specifically what happened, these accusations against him. What were the accusations? You're against the Torah. You're against the temple. You're against the Jews. Okay? So he starts out with his heritage. In verses 1 through 5, he starts out with who he was. They say you're against the Torah and you're, you're against the temple. Well, I don't know. He starts out and he says, brethren and fathers. The same way that Stephen would start out. Hear my defense. That word defense is apologia. Have you ever heard the word apologetics? Apologetics is literally just giving an answer. Was giving an answer for that. So, so within this, he says, brethren and fathers, let me give my defense or my answer to the accusation to the things that are going on. Let me give my defense to correct your misunderstanding. And what is the greatest misunderstanding people have? They misunderstand God. They misunderstand salvation within this. Paul starts out and he says, I was zealous as you are right now. I was zealous in my teaching and my training as you are now. I was just like you. I was born a Jew in Tarsus, but my hometown is Jerusalem. Just like you, I was raised in this city. And amazing, I was raised in this city and I was trained under Gamaliel. Now for us, we don't understand Gamaliel, but for the Jews, they would have why? Because Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel. Within Hillel was the highest form of the rabbinical school. Jewish boys would start rabbinical school at about age 12, and they would learn. And if you went to, if you went to the school of Hillel, that was something. If you studied under Gamaliel, oh my goodness, you had the premier teacher within us. So Jerusalem is my hometown. I had the best Jewish training ever. In fact, it was said, when Gamaliel the elder died, the glory of the law ceased. He was revered as the teacher above teachers within this. Now remember the accusation, you're against the law. Paul's passion was for the law. In Galatians 1.14 he says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen, more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. And because of that, I was passionate to persecute lawbreakers. In fact, in Acts 
Chapter 8, verse 3, he says, But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. And he would put them in prison. Paul's personal goal was, I am going to kill or imprison everybody that stands against the Torah. Now remember what they accused him of. You don't love the Torah. You don't love the temple. He says, no, I did. I did. Who were you before you came to know Christ? What was your life like? Did you love self? Did you love self-pleasure? What were the things that you loved the most? There's a lot of people that will look at, at those who are Christians and say, you've always been like that. I can tell you this from my testimony, I have not always been like this. In fact, my wife often tells me, if I would have known you before you were a Christian, I never would have married you. And that would be a truth, because I was a jerk. Now I'm a saved jerk. <laughs> but we look at this and we see what's going on. And, and he was going after specific group, the people of the way. Who were the way? They were the Christians. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all of the identifying Christians that, that were there, Paul was going after them. Notice that is the limit of his explanation of who he was before. He doesn't get into the sinner's life, but he gives a testimony that is specific to the audience. Paul will give three different testimonies in the book of Acts. And each one is a little bit different. Why? Because it's specific to the audience. Know who you're witnessing to. And connect with them. So what does Paul do then? In verses 6 to 16, he explains his his conversion, his encounter with Jesus. Now, this is a powerful testimony. Paul was explaining, while I was persecuting, while I was killing people, while I was putting them in prison, and I had letters from your elders to go do this, approved by them, on my way to Damascus to go get all the Christians that fled Jerusalem to Damascus to go get them and to arrest them and kill them. Why? Because I want to exterminate the people of the way. While all this was going on, he would meet Jesus. On the way to Damascus, on this road, Damascus 135 miles north of Jerusalem. It would take about two weeks to walk there. Now, you've got to really be angry at people to walk that far. And he's going up there. He's making this journey. He's on his way within this. And the account follows Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 8 there. And he was zealous. Have you ever met somebody that was very zealous but very ignorant of truth? Paul was zealous but without knowledge. In fact, in Romans 10, 1 through 3, it says this. As Paul would write, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. The Jews that had just beat him up were zealous without knowledge. Paul was zealous without knowledge. 
There's a lot of really smart people that are spiritually ignorant about God. And so when you're sharing with them, you're introducing Jesus to them, and they don't know Jesus. They have no clue. Paul had no clue who Jesus was. He thought this whole Jesus thing was a cult. And a lie. And an attack on the very thing that he loved the most. He wasn't expecting to see Jesus. But in his conversion, Jesus came to him. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus found him. In your conversion story, when did Jesus find you? Did you go looking for him or did he come looking for you? Did he draw you to himself? Did he love you even when you were persecuting him when you were a sinner? For sure. He loves you. And he came to you. And maybe this morning you haven't met Jesus face to face. You've been drawn to this place. You're watching online. And and you haven't had that face to face meeting with Jesus. Maybe this morning is that morning. And you're here and you're searching and you're trying to figure it out. I can tell you this, you've been loved before the foundations of the world. And maybe today is your day of salvation. Paul along this road, going to go kill some Christians. Going to do what is right according to Yahweh and the law and the Torah. And then all of a sudden a bright light shines in the middle of the day. So bright, note the time. What time was it? Noon. Yet, the light that shone was brighter than the noontime sun and blinded him in such a way that he fell to the ground and was blind. Other people saw the light that were with him and they heard the voice, but they didn't hear what was saying. They couldn't make it out. And Saul heard it and he heard his name. This was a personal divine appointment of Jesus meeting Saul and he calls him out by name and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What is the first order of business that Jesus took care of with Saul? He confronted him with his sin. What was his sin? The rejection and the ignorance of of knowing who Jesus was and the persecuting of Christians. And so he says, why do you persecute me? Saul understood it. He sees the Shekinah glory as a good Jew would know about, but had never seen. And he hears these words, Who are you, Lord? Because obviously the Shekinah glory is so great, it blows his mind. And the Lord answers, he says, Ego of me, Jesus of the Nazarene. Ego of me. He uses the name God. And Paul, who knows the Torah, knows who ego of me is, says, oh my goodness, I'm undone. But Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazarene. Now, why would Paul reflect that name to the Jews who were in the temple? Do you remember what was nailed on the sign above the cross? Jesus the Nazarene. All the Jews that were hearing this testimony, keep in mind, this is the rioters that are down in the temple area. It is ego of me, God, Jesus the Nazarene, that is now introducing himself to Paul. 
Your conversion, when you come to faith, is a personal conversion. It is you and Jesus. No one else, you and Jesus. And He comes and He meets you where you are. And He introduces Himself to you. And if you accept that invitation to know Him, as Paul did, he said, What should I do, Lord? Notice, what shall I do, Lord? You submit. And Jesus says, get up, go on into Damascus, and it will be shown for you what to do. Paul continues his testimony. He says, I got up and I went into Damascus. I had to be led by the hand. Why? Because he's blind. Now, he doesn't give us, Luke doesn't give us all of the account of Ananias and the whole conversations that's there, but he said, in Paul's testimony, this guy Ananias comes up to me and he addresses me. And notice as Paul uh, explaining him to the Jews, this Ananias, a devout Jew. Oh, now why would that be there? Because the Jews said he hates the law and he hates the Jews. Yet you have a devout Jew that is coming to him on behalf of Jesus to bring healing. Do you know the statement in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established? Well, within that, we understand that Ananias becomes that second witness. God wants you to know not just him, but notice what he says. He says, Ananias says, you will know his will, you will see the righteous one, and you will hear from his mouth personally. You know what's powerful about this? When you come to faith and knowledge of Jesus, you will know the will of God. You will see Jesus personally in your heart and, and experience Him personally. And within that personal experience, you will hear from Him. It's amazing when you're saved. You come to a place where you can study God's Word and you can read the Bible and it will make sense to you. Why? Because you, it's this new faith that is in there. And so Ananias, as a devout Jew, brings this message to him. Paul's point is this. To the people that are there, Christianity is not a contradiction to Judaism. It's the completion of Judaism. This is Jesus the Nazarene that is here. That is the one that you crucified, yes. But he's the one that is also the risen Lord. When you came to faith, if you have come to faith, have you seen Jesus? Have you heard from Him? Has He given you direction? He will. Ananias says, great. Now here's what you can do. Get up and go get baptized and call upon the name of the Lord. Now some people will use this text as a proof text that in what's called baptismal regeneration. Because it says, be baptized and have your sins washed away. It is not a proof text for baptismal regeneration. It is contextual. Why? Because the Jews had a practice of mikvah, of washing, before they would go worship. And in their concept, for the Jews, they would walk down into the mikvah. When we go to Israel, we'll see them. You walk down into the ceremonial bath on one set of steps. You go through the water, you wash, and then you come out a different set of steps because in their mind, that's how you washed away sins. So in this, Ananias is using something that is contextual to baptism. Not baptismal regeneration. 
wasn't practiced in the early church after that. What was it important? Again, when you give your testimony, make it in such a way that the people you're witnessing to can understand. Share with them the truth. The key phrase, though, is actually calling upon the name of the Lord. Note, in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. Note, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How many people can be saved? Anyone. Is that, is that invitation for everyone? Yes, because the text says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thief on the cross will save. Did he have time to get off the cross and go be baptized? Nope. No, he didn't. Baptism is the outward sign of the transformation of the inward work. If you want to be baptized, let us know. We will baptize you. We'll fill the tank and we'll do it. Because it's that outward confession within us. Paul moves on into the third element. The first element is who I was. The second element is how I met Jesus. The third element is what does Jesus want me to do? Notice the mission. Paul is directed to leave Jerusalem. And so he leaves Jerusalem in verses 17 to 18. And he, or to leave Damascus and go to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem and he's in the temple. Now remember the accusation. You hate the Torah. You hate the temple. And you hate the Jews. Yet Paul says, I left Damascus and I'm in the temple and I'm what? Worshipping in the temple. And I get a vision and the vision is Jesus speaking to me saying they're not going to accept your witness. Go. Go where? Go far away. To whom? To the Gentiles. God, you're telling me to go to the Gentiles. Yes, I'm telling you to go to the Gentiles. Why? The Jews are not going to accept what you have to say. So go. You have a mission to go. Understand that Paul was commissioned by God to go to the Gentiles. And that's what he's telling these Jews. In Romans chapter 116, Paul would write, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone. How many? Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek within this. Now, Paul, it's interesting because in verses 19 to 21, Paul argues with God. You've got to love Paul because he, <laughs> he was pretty bold. He had an argument with, with, with God in his commission. And maybe God's called you to do something and you're arguing with God about it. Maybe God's saying, I want you to go. And you're like, I really don't want to go. I want you to go do that. I really don't want to do this. And Paul debates him. You know what, how he debates him? He says, look it. In, in, in those verses, he says, you don't understand. I used to persecute these people. I used to terrorize these people. I owe it to them to stay here and share the gospel. They need, these Jews need to see the transformation in my life. And God says, nope. You're to go. They're not going to listen to you. God has a calling on your life and where He calls you to go, go. Don't argue with Him. You know, over 22 years ago, God said, go to Warren, Oregon. Where is Warren, Oregon? Is it Warrenton? No. You look at this. 
And God leads you and guides you to specific places for specific reasons. And you can debate, argue and, argue and reason and all that, but ultimately you've got to submit. God's got a calling on your life. God has saved you all for a purpose. What is your purpose? Where is God calling you? So Paul is telling all of these Jews that just beat him up that God told me to go to the Gentiles with this gospel message. The gospel message that you've heard. So this, you, you accuse me of bringing a Gentile into the temple. I didn't do it. But to go to the Gentiles, yes, this was divinely ordained within this. So don't be discouraged when your witness for Christ is rejected. And, and the testimony, God's called you. And do what God's called you to do. Well, as we see, Paul finishes his testimony and the people were hearing everything okay. Up until the point that he said Gentiles. Have you ever had those trigger words? You know, we have this new thing like being triggered, right? So it's in, in psychology, is that if you say a word, you're triggered. Well, I can tell you this for the Jews, it's not anything new. For the Jews to hear the word Gentiles being saved triggered them. They were okay with everything until he said the Gentiles could be saved. And then they went nuts. They went crazy. They're ripping their coats. They're throwing dust in the air. And the commander's going, oh, this was a bad idea. We've got to get them out of here. And so he hauls them up the steps and he says, okay, look it. We didn't get all the information we need. Strap them up to the pole and we're going to beat them. Now, you've got to understand, again, this is, this is Near Eastern culture, biblical times. There, there was no lawyers, there was no courts, there was nothing like this. The Romans were in charge, so they take the leather thongs, they put them on his wrist, they strap them on a pole, stretch out his back, and they're getting ready to scourge him. Roman scourgings would typically be 40 lashes, minus one, of a cat of like nine tails with rocks and, and lead or whatever else they could find to put on the end, and they would beat your back to a pole. Often killing people. They strap Paul up to this pole. Paul would be beaten with rods about three times. He would be scourged five times in his lifetime. And again, most of the time it would kill you. So they're strapping Paul up to this pole. And Paul looks at him and he says, that you've got to love this. This is so Pauline. He's so cool. He's already been beaten up by the crowd. He's already given his testimony, was rejected by the people. Now he's got a Roman commander that says, I'm going to beat you and turn your back into hamburger. And they strap him to the pole, and very calmly he turns to him and he says, Tell me, is it lawful to strap a Roman citizen to a pole to be beaten that hasn't been convicted of anything? Now, you've got to understand, to do that was a violation of the law, the Roman law. And he couldn't do that. Paul doesn't say, hey, you can't do this. This is unjust. This is unfair. He, doesn't, he just asks a very simple question. What do you think? Is that a good idea to do that? And the guy looks at him and he says, are you a Roman citizen? The centurion. The centurion goes back to the commander and says, you need to stop this now. You need to stop this because this is going to go really, really bad for us. In fact, the law was the Valerian Prean law of Rome. And it said this. This is the law. To bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him is an act of murder. In fact, the commander would be condemned for that. 
So the commander says, we've got to stop right now. Are you a Roman citizen? Yeah. How did you get it? Because I spent a lot of money for mine. Paul says, I was born one. Oh. Untie him really quick. We don't know what to do. So Paul would be moved to go before the Jewish council because the Roman guard says, look it, I'm not touching this one. You're going to be judged there. But I love the fact of Paul's nature. He was misunderstood by the Romans. He was hated by his own people and the Jews. And he wasn't discouraged. Why? Because he knew his Savior and he took it as an opportunity to be able to witness. Look for those opportunities to witness. When you're persecuted, when you're rejected, when you're misunderstood, look for the opportunity to witness and know your witness. Prepare your witness. Be ready to give everybody an answer for the hope that lies within you. Why? Because Jesus has given us that hope and that life. We're going to celebrate communion now, which is the basis and the foundation of that hope. To be able to be in that place where we can say, yes, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord. To be able to honor his death and, and the payment for those sins. I encourage you this morning as the elements come around to consider your testimony. What did Jesus save you from? Maybe remember that day of salvation, that time of salvation. This is when Jesus became very real to me. And enjoy the new life that He has for you. This is what He's doing in my life. Because your new life is based on the completed work of the cross. The bread representing Jesus' body and the cup representing His blood. As the elements are passed out, everybody hang on to them until everybody's been served. We'll take them together, as is our practice within that. If you're not a Christ follower, let the elements go by. Um... And then also, if you've got sin in your life that you're not willing to, to let go of, then, then do business with God first. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the ability to be in this place to honor you. And as we reflect, even now, on, on what this means through this video and, and, and song, Lord, help us to reflect on the power of the resurrection and the power of forgiveness in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
all stand before the Lord. God, we thank you for giving us that victory in that new life. The old has passed away and all things have become new. But that couldn't take place until that sin debt was paid for. This bread that we have, that we hold up before you, we thank you for this bread and all that it means. The life that we have begins at salvation and continues on into eternity. We will shed this body at some point in time and receive from you that new body. But to think upon your body, you took the physical pain, suffering, and and judgment for all of our sins to give us that new life. We thank you for this bread as a reminder that the penalty of sin has been paid for and we have victory over death. We praise you and we thank you. Let's all receive the bread together. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. The night before Jesus died, He took the cup and He blessed it from the Passover table and He gave it to His disciples. He says, this cup represents a new covenant ratified by My blood. And as often as you drink this, remember Me. The witness and the testimony that comes from the shedding of the blood carries forward reminding us of the new life that we have. Reminding us that our sins have been washed away. You stand before a holy God, holy, because of what Jesus has done. This cup is a reminder of that permanent condition that you were set apart as God's kid. And He loves you. God, we thank You for this cup and all that it reminds us of. We will never fully understand the depth and the meaning of of what that forgiveness is. But Lord, help us to embrace it by faith. We receive this cup as a gift and a reminder of our sins being forgiven. And we thank you for your grace that has been poured out to us from Calvary. We thank you for this cup in Jesus' name. Let's all receive the cup together. Thank you, Lord. As is our practice and in response to the gracious gifts that God's given to us, we take up a special offering once a month. It's a benevolent offering that goes to be gracious towards other people in need um, with their physical needs, whether, whether it's uh, medicine or building ramps on houses or whatever it is. These monies are set aside just for meeting people's needs. The ushers are going to come forward and gather that up. So, Father, we thank you for the gift of life you've given to us. And out of gratitude, we want to give towards those that are in need to be able to meet their needs. Father, I pray that every dollar goes to meet the needs of people, to help keep people in homes or lights on or medicine or whatever it is that they have need, that we could be your hands and feet to a world around us and to our own community. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The reason why the cross of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. 
thank you that we can testify that you are alive, Lord Jesus, that you have risen from the dead and are changing people's lives, transforming their lives, you, beginning with us. Lord, we know that in this world we will have difficulties and hardships, but may we look at those difficulties and hardships as opportunities to be able to be a witness for the living Savior. May we look at those that are lost those that misunderstand you and bring truth to their life because you brought truth to our life. And as we go out this week, may we find those opportunities and speak boldly and stand firm and praise the name of Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.